0: <clears throat> all right hello everyone episode 54 of going live with good soil matt and i here as usual um format of this is uh we are on twitter spaces and uh, our youtube channel uh for good soil investment management live at the same time both recorded in same pl- both places typically talk about the macro markets first a bit, and then uh, talk about Tesla and Elon and other stocks we cover. And then we go into a Q&A, and any, anything else interesting to talk about. So I guess we'll start things off. It's been a busy week, Matt, uh, busy few days, especially. Um, I mean, Elon uh, sent that letter on Friday uh, that he's, he's attempting to terminate the deal. The Tesla stock went up, you know, right away in after hours on friday and uh had a bit of a rough day yesterday as much of the macro market did especially the tech stocks and all the ev stocks were down you know five to seven percent it seems like yesterday so i'm not sure if it was tesla specific yesterday but um i mean the macro market's flip-flopping that's what we start with uh cpi numbers coming out tomorrow um what are your thoughts about the cpi i mean the white house is already like Leaking, or there's rumors that they're saying don't you know expect it to be tough. Like, do you think they get the do you think they know the CPI number before it gets published, or they get some kind of like hint about it? Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't have thought that they do, but based on the the commentary that we're
1: seeing of like these pre leaks, it, it does make me think that that probably they do. Um,
0: yeah, that's yeah. Strange, right? It,
1: it's 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 really strange. Like, you can't you would kind of think that in a, a well run government that like the know parties responsible for each part of like their responsibilities would just be able to carry that out but it it seems instead like biden is like wanting to be very involved in all aspects of you know just about everything and um it's yeah i i almost don't know what to what to make of it you know you get these these pre-leaks which i get like i'm not necessarily opposed to them but um it's it's a little bit odd i don't know what what, what's your thought on you know,
0: these, these kind of
1: pre-leaks, I don't, I think it's unprecedented as far as I'm aware.
0: Yeah. I mean, we saw tons of leaks in the last administration. I mean, there was leaks left and right. It seems like there was, you know, I don't know what was going on, but it was very intentional almost. And for the, for the white house to like publicly, you know, this is beyond like just like a leak though. This is like the white house publicly acknowledging like, Hey, we think the number number's not going to be so good. Like, are they getting like a pre read and like leaking and then leaking out before they publicly leak it? Are they leaking it out to some like black rock asset? I manager? or I don't know. It just seems like hopefully they're not, hopefully it's a tight ship and they're just like worried that it's going to be tough. But like I, I would, I, you know, it would, it would really, um, it's very unsettling if they are getting the CPI number, like days before it's publicly released, because you know that there's going to be some leakage privately within that you know just you know above what the white house is publicly saying here right so yeah it's very unsettling so i don't
1: yeah Yeah. i mean i would kind of think that they're not getting the actual number but maybe you know like there's some analysis that's going into the number that's going to be released tomorrow and it's you know those preliminary or like feeder numbers are looking worse than maybe people thought and maybe somehow that that information is making its way back back to you know the, the white house that that might make sense but um I, I, yeah. I don't know it's uh it's just a little bit odd you know you'd almost rather have yeah. this this you know run its own course and let the fed be responsible for managing inflation and not the white house
0: yeah yeah i know it's uh so well if the number turns out to be not as bad as expected tomorrow then we'll know that maybe the white house isn't getting in a leak and they're just like speculating or something so hopefully that's the case and then we can kind of through negative uh you know deduction confirm that the white house is not kind of Getting some secret information before the rest of us on this and sharing it
1: yeah so. I, I hope that's the case and like even with like everything that we're seeing like i mean you, you gotta keep in mind that this is a, a lagging indicator so um we're, we're talking about what's happened in june or here in july and what we've seen since is that the commodity prices have, have still like continued to fall so um you know it's certainly possible that we have higher than expected june inflation but um i think what's way more important is, is what happens going forward you know not whether you know we're plus or minus 0.5 percent in june or not but that said it's a really yeah. impactful number for for the stock market so we'll, we'll certainly be keeping a, a close eye on it
0: yeah yeah i mean the market is probably it could the market could go up or down like three percent based on this number you know um easily in my view so it might stay flat it might zigzag a little bit three
1: percent on like nothing
0: these days so yeah who knows yeah (laughs) yeah yeah who knows who knows and uh anything else in the macro market I mean the Fed has their next meeting end of July I mean do you think it's going to be 50 or anything changing your I mean anything else macro market we should cover before we go into. Elon Tesla. i I don't think so
1: you know i mean inflation is the big story right now i mean i think the Mm -hmm. the fed is definitely being conservative and in trying to make sure that you know inflation doesn't get away from us i think the question right now is whether it's 75 basis points or 50. um Mm -hmm. and and i kind of think the information we get tomorrow on that cpi release is going to kind of dictate whether it's 75 or 50. um Mm -hmm. i mean if it's a lot better than expected maybe it's 50. um and then you know we'll kind of wait until we see the July numbers next month, and and then maybe we'll get a better idea of like it, is inflation really easing up, or are we still legitimately concerned? And if I think if we're still legitimately concerned, then Fed's going to kind of continue course, and and we'll, we'll have a uh, several more multi you know 50, 75 basis point hikes uh, throughout the mm. rest of the year. But we'll yeah we'll, we'll kind of see. I, I don't expect them to be very eager to change course unless we get like some huge surprise on the conservative side, uh, with CPI.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's about right too. So we'll see. I mean, the recession, um, you know, we'll find that GDP print for q Q2, I think is that later this month or, or the beginning of next month, I forget exactly when that comes out, but that's what will confirm. I think that we're in a recession technically right now, and maybe that'll, you know, change the macro markets a bit like, bad news is good news like now oh we're finally we're officially in a recession so the fed's gonna not be as aggressive as they were you know or something so that's what that that was
1: that was kind of funny last week we got like the great employment numbers and it was like oh like look how strong employment numbers are so the stock market has to go down it's just yeah it's it's so bizarre like this this you know good news is bad news and vice versa situation
0: right now it's a bizarre world yeah. the stock market yeah So, I mean, Elon, the big news with Tesla is the stock's been zigzagging. I mean, it went down a lot yesterday with the rest of the EV stocks. It was up a lot on Friday after hours, especially after Elon sent the letter um, that he wants to terminate the Twitter acquisition. I put out a poll yesterday asking, you know, all the Tesla, It's you know, we're in the Tesla Twitterverse and, you know, 80% of my followers are 90% or maybe 95% are like Tesla bulls, you know, and so, and Elon and Tesla fanatics, you know, so... I put out the poll amongst the us of, uh, you know, what do you think the chances are like two years from now, Elon is uh, in control of Twitter. So like after all this lawsuit, basically, you know, whether, whatever the valuation is Elon officially controlling Twitter or not. And amongst all of the bulls fit to 50, 50, um, Split. It was like 40, 39% said yes, 38% said no, and like 23% said see results or whatever. I just put that in the polls. So it was 50-50 split, it seemed like. Um, I wonder if that's the same split with the general public in general, like in, you know, the financial media or whatever, um, financial you know, investors in general, not just Tesla bulls. But most people, I think, seem to think this is more of a negotiating tactic for a lower market cap um, that they're going to – that. They're going to agree on later what do you do you have any thoughts on that have you read anything interesting i mean there's i mean think, it's,
1: it's there's, there's so much um speculation on, on what's going on here right now um to me it seems like the the most likely situation is just that he really is skeptical of the bots um yeah. and then on top of that you've got like a very significantly deteriorating uh macro market um, uh, which really those two things in particular, like if you if you consider um, deteriorating macro, what that does is reduce your multiples that you should be willing to pay for any business. And then uh, if you if you look at like you know the the declining macro environment, also from the perspective of like a Twitter advertiser who's their main customer, they're going to say, all right, well we need to cut back on advertising because um, one macro is deteriorating, and two, same seems like there might be more bots than than we suspected. So uh yeah. like I, I think like it's a very legitimate um you know decrease in value relative to to where the company was in april uh that elon is trying to um you know kind of uh recognize with this you know uh kind of walk away tactic that he's got going on now with, whether he wants to walk away completely or simply use this as a negotiating tactic um, I kind of sense he'd rather just walk away from it completely. I really do think that's more likely rather than, you know, this is just purely negotiating. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. And, and it could just be a, a total blunder as well. I, I give less credence to that, but it, it's certainly possible that, you know, you know, he kind of made an offer at the exact wrong time and didn't realize how much of a distraction from Tesla it would be and from SpaceX and um, like you had yeah. the, the huge you know, static fire mishap that happened yesterday with the you know the starship and maybe he just says like I, I don't want to try to deal with turning around this culture of this like company that frankly doesn't want me at the helm. <laughs> like we, we kind of yeah. know the culture doesn't yeah. like Elon. Uh yeah. and so maybe I think he's just trying to actually walk away. But uh given the premium that he's offered relative to today's prices, um it may be hard for him to actually walk away from that. But I'm I'm curious what do you think, Emmet?
0: Yeah, I think it's uh, like this guy, Alex, on Twitter put out a thread that Elon liked about uh, the analogy of the house of, you know, the real estate deal. And Elon kind of um, mentioned that analogy in a couple of his interviews where it's like a house of termite, like, you know, you get an inspector and you start figuring out there's way more termites in this house than you thought. And it's contingent deals contingent upon the passes, the inspections as represented by the seller and so forth, you know, sort of like when you're buying a house. And uh, it's clear that, you know, the bots and spam issue is much worse than Twitter has let on. And um, I think I think you're right. I think he if it was anyone else, I would say this is a negotiating tactic. But because it's Elon Musk and I think he's, you know, it's crazy that there's this conspiracy theory going around that he did it as like a distraction so he could sell Tesla shares, you know, like that's ridiculous. I don't know how that gets any traction, but like it was, it was, they, they, on CNBC, like David Faber, one of the most respected CNBC commentators, if there are any, is mentioning that he's going to get sued. And like, they're talking about like yesterday, that this is a ploy for him to, and, and also like fortune, magazine or Fortune, you know, some reporter wrote a story about this. And I heard a Bloomberg interview on Bloomberg um, radio this morning with a lawyer, but the lawyer is like representing like the Twitter people. And so it's like almost like a, probably a paid advertisement by these people to like get their case out. But he's talking about how he thinks Elon's manipulating stock prices so he can sell shares of Tesla or something. It's so ridiculous. This conspiracy thinking that goes around, like who in their right mind can actually like with all the information would believe this. So like, sure. Media reporting is probably going to go crazy with this conspiracy thinking now, it seems like, but in a jury, you know, you know, I don't think it stands. The people who get all all the information, they're going to see, this is ridiculous. This, this thought that Elon, you know, pretended to buy Twitter so he could have an excuse to sell Tesla shares. (laughs) He could have sold Tesla shares anyway. I mean, what the heck? It's like ridiculous. So um, it's, it's sad that there's this like dichotomy, like half the people think Elon is genuine, like I do and you do. And everyone, most of the people follow us, but then there's like, not, I don't know if it's half, but it's probably like most people think he's genuine, but then there's like a subset of people and some of them are like financial influencer, financial media influencers, or the media likes to run with it. And a subset of people that think he's a complete like fraud and liar about all this stuff. And he's just like trying to get richer you know like he's living on some yacht somewhere <laughs> so yeah. you know he's not he's like it's like yeah it's I, crazy. I wonder how much of that is legitimate though
1: because like I, i've um there's a twitter account i'm not going to name names but who who is incredibly <laughs> negative not taylor Ogan because i know he and i've gotten into it a little bit lately but uh yeah. you know, another somewhat prominent like anti-tesla uh like twitter account and i had like a conversation with them and they, they were pretty reasonable and like you know like made some decent cases of, of why Tesla is like overvalued or, or whatever. But then like you see their, them on Twitter and there's all these like incredibly like crazy, like conspiracy theory, tinfoil hat kind of like cases. And I'm like, if you would yeah. said those things to me in person, I like I, I think I'd like hang up the phone because it's just like, I don't trust your, your judgment. So I, I do think that there's this tendency of people to kind of like, Present like the more ludicrous cases on like anonymous Twitter accounts that are, um, you know, kind of talking to each other rather than like presenting a legitimate business case of, of why Tesla yeah. is overvalued. And I think if you talk to the, the better of the, of those accounts, like an uh, actual one-on-one, and say like, okay, hey, like here's where I could be wrong. Here's where you could be wrong. I think like the the common ground is a little bit more reasonable. But I think what you get on Twitter is um, a little
0: bit nuts
1: <laughs> sometimes yeah. in the Tesla Q community.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't understand it. It's like a different reality some of these people live in. And uh, I'm glad I'm not part of that reality. That would be a very negative world to be in. <laughs> it's just. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, One so. of the
1: guys, uh, so somewhere on here, Jot, Gaz, C, F, D, Rack. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm botching your name, <laughs> but he says, forget Tesla Q dum-dums. <laughs> um and I, that's kind of funny so i did this interview with sandy monroe yesterday that'll drop yeah how was that tell us about that somewhere else yeah. um okay in the next day or two um but he was he went off at one point about like all, all these like short sellers and how one just like how like warped their incentives are but two how they don't know what the hell they're talking about uh which, which I thought yeah. was just super interesting because we were talking to him about like we keep hearing the competition is coming, Sandy. Like, what what do you actually think about that? And like, what would it take for them to actually catch up? And um, he was basically saying all the people that are telling you the competition is coming don't know what the hell they're talking about. Um, and, and so I thought that was really interesting. He even put it quite that bluntly, but um, that was a lot of what he was saying is like the people who are actually watching this space, like they don't know. You know, they're like a lot of MBAs that are saying like, well, you know, people at GM and people at Ford aren't dumb, so they'll catch up. And yeah. Saying, well, Look at all the case okay, studies
0: what? we studied in school. It makes sense. They're going to catch up, you know, or they don't really know what's going on in reality with this yeah. technology.
1: Or you talk about like Adam Smith's invisible hand. And so like Tesla can't make 25% yeah. gross margins while the other companies make 10% gross margins. Like eventually that has to balance out. And like, that seems like it makes sense on in, in theory. But then when you talk to Sandy and he's like, okay, well. Sure. But like Tesla's already has 25% gross margins.
0: Well, yeah. 27
1: actually. And right now they're in the process of like implementing giga presses, which he was like little side tangent here. He Who's super impressed with that. Um, mm. Just like completely blown away by like how amazing that technology was and, and how much efficiency it would bring to their body shop. Um, and so he, he was just saying like, this is like Crazy, and so that's gonna like leapfrog them from you know twenty seven to something else, like a lot better. Mm-hmm. He was, you, you know, I was thinking of a, a lot from like a financial analyst standpoint, and he was thinking of it from like a manufacturing efficiency and how many, you know, jobs and how many like like supply chain people you'd be able to eliminate and like the the improved efficiency of like the people on the floor who are going to like, you know, go from welding a bunch of stuff together to just like literally dropping in chairs on top of the battery pack bolting them in and then like just using a robotic arm to like push it up into the into the frame and he's saying like that's Mm -hmm. just it's like revolutionary how much of an improvement in like the work like the the general assembly efficiency that that is going to have so Mm -hmm. he was just super super impressed um so like you, you talk about tesla who already has these crazy margins like leapfrogging to this new thing which is going to be hitting their financial statements like in q3 in q4 and beyond and we're yeah. like okay well well who can catch up And he's like well so far nobody else is ordering you know these giga press you know like these giga machines They're like there's several companies that could be doing that but you know it's like an eight month lead time plus you got to have like your design actually match the you know the, like the press the press but uh, yeah.
0: it outputs the output of yeah. it yeah
1: exactly and you've got to have, like, have a spot for this in your factory and so like nobody's committing to that yet so even if like you were to snap your fingers today and say like okay ford or gm or whoever is going to you know implement a gigapress um it doesn't just show up in your financials in the next quarter like it, it takes a lot of yeah. time you got to be like legitimately committed to significant changes in your manufacturing footprint and your supply chain you know procurement policies mm-hmm. and like your engineering it's, it's a very big commitment and so far as far as you can tell nobody is doing it yet like there's signs that that will be changing he's got like thoughts on who could be leading going forward but um like this is just like one of the things that tesla is already leading on and and it's like okay
0: like there's so many other leapfrogging aspect like too who, who's they're already do... at 27 margins planning for this change ahead of time and it's going to be implemented soon and yeah, it's so clear to me that they're just like steps, you know, step changes ahead of the, the rest. It, competition is not coming, competition is falling further behind, you know, the, the longer Tesla operates. That's this that's the real narrative, I think. So
1: yeah, no, yeah. I know I agree. And that was like I was trying not to have that that same that mindset going in there. I wanted to like let the facts kind of lead where they where they would, but you know, in, in talking to all the people there, they were they were so impressed. And then like one of the so things. Is that, JD, so that, so everyone
0: who's jumping in, Matt went to visit uh, Monroe and Associates yesterday, right? They're like sort of close to you. How far of a drive was it from where you live?
1: Yeah, so it was about forty-five minutes from from where I live. Uh, there's this guy, Alex, from Florida, who I guess is a, a fan of the channel and he's he's watched some of what we do. Um, and mm-hmm. he kind of got a an email from Tesla saying like, "Hey, uh, he could take an accelerated delivery of the Model Y that he ordered about six months ago." from texas um you know if he upgraded to like a performance version or something like that so he just reached out to monroe and associates on a whim said hey i got this you know update would you like to take delivery on my behalf and so they they kind of jumped at the opportunity wow. and he just said hey yeah sure you take this this delivery I, i'd love to just go see you know your facility monroe and associates it's in uh so boil down ah and the comment says where is monroe located it's in a place called auburn hills michigan so uh it's like in the metro detroit area kind of in the middle of like the you know big three detroit automakers like supply chain center um yeah in, in that metro detroit area so i drove there yesterday uh met this guy alex there with his cousin uh who's like 12 years 12 years old went and visited we like mm-hmm. you know toured a cool. bunch of you know, like we saw the, the Rivian, uh, R1T, there was like this Chinese vehicle, which was pretty sweet. Actually, it was called the Skywell, um, Mm. which was like, to me, that was one of the more, like, like my biggest takeaways was like this, this Skywell company probably like if they could, if they could produce like a 30 to $40,000 vehicle that was of a similar quality to what we drove yesterday, I feel like they could gain a decent amount of market share because it was very comparable to like, I don't know, like a Jeep range, like a, grand cherokee or something like that like a kind of minimal bells and whistles it was made by a chinese
0: of, company they're called skywell they're skywell. not public
1: yeah
0: yeah they're yeah, not public then yeah
1: i'd never heard of the company before but um you know like we, we drove like it was not a great car like it didn't you know like compared to driving a ribian or a tesla or like a bmw there was a bmw i4 that we drove yesterday too and it was like clearly mm-hmm. it's not on the same level as those but like it had a very familiar dashboard it had like it was very clear to like understand like how you do pretty much everything in there. And I feel like for like an entry level EV uh, where a lot of people kind of get intimidated by the tech level of like, you know, or Rivian or Tesla or like, you know, just how different it is to like put your key card in and do some of those things. Like, I feel like this could be a a good um, entry level, you know, um, entrance that could really convert a lot of people. So, you know, looking at the, you know, the GM offerings and the Ford offerings and everything, I'm like, it seems like it's very crowded in like the $50,000 and above segment, but I, th- I think the Chinese are going to be pretty successful in the long run. They're not there yet, but in the long run of kind of competing in this, you know, 30 to $50,000 range. Cause it was a, it was a mm-hmm. legitimately pretty impressive mm-hmm. car.
0: Um, so you, you got know, there, months. you saw a bunch of cars, drove a test, drove a bunch. you talked to a Sandy Monroe for a while. You had a nice interview and you, how many associates it's Monroe and associates. So there's like a bunch of people there, right? It's not, it's like a big, building of some sort or office? Yeah, or?
1: Pretty, pretty big building. So yeah, we, we spoke with uh, Corey at, at the beginning, who's like the, the president of the company. He's pretty active on the, the Monroe and Associates YouTube page. Um, you mm-hmm. know, he kind of handed off handed us off to the uh, live, like group and they kind of showed us how they handled their videos and showed us a bunch of the vehicles that they'd already kind of like torn apart and they were all like up on the boards and everything like that. Uh, then we got to go over and see the the Model Y. Uh, which was, you know, they're in the process of disassembling from, uh, Texas. And that was, it was super cool. Cause they lifted this, this body up. Like it was w- like above us, you could walk underneath it. Um, and so it was just like the frame, you could see where the battery pack was, was taken out and like, there were the back chairs were still on there. And there was like this, the, the glass roof was like over above you and like the steering wheel was still there. But it was just like, you can kind of see. Like they just took this one major component out, which had like the, 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 front seats, the two front seats um, and the battery pack. And that was like the majority of the car was gone. So it was really mm-hmm. cool to like see that. Um, and then it was actually right next to an R1T that they were just uh, assembling from Rivian. And it was just, it was crazy because like, I'm not an engineer by by any stretch, but they had this like one piece of metal that was like about this big. I don't even remember what it did, but
0: mm-hmm. they
1: were just saying like how inefficient some of the weldings that they were doing were. and like I'm just looking at this, and I could see, you know, on this one little hunk of metal, there were probably three or four dozen welds, and I'm just thinking like how um, inefficient that must be for like one person to spend this much time like, you know, like welding, like welders get paid a lot of money to you they know, do, do yeah. welding, it's like, that's a very high skill <laughs> job. And And yeah. so like, for like, just this one component to be like, so labor intensive, and then like, comparing that to what Tesla does, where it's just like, super highly automated, Sandy was saying they do, um, like this injection molding on this, um, on this frame, this gig casting in about three or four milliseconds, they shoot all the aluminum in there and it just gets molded yeah. in, and, and then they don't have to heat treat it. They don't have to do any sort of like, uh, metal treatment whatsoever after that. Yeah.
0: It's, it's a, like, at the cyber rodeo, they had a big demo of it. It was pretty impressive. Yeah. And they showed like a visualization of it and it's, it's really impressive that giga casting the gigapress. press. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. It, it really is. No. So it, it was just, it was,
1: it was so much fun. Like, I, I really felt like I was, uh, like in Char- Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, just like walking around. I was like, I had this, like you know, goofy smile on my face all day long. It was just so much fun <laughs> to be in there and like walk around and see it all. It was, it was really cool.
0: You got to ride the cyber. I saw like a picture of you riding the cyber quad or whatever, the, the little <laughs> Tesla cyber quad. Was that pretty neat? That little thing? I was thinking about that getting was. one of those. I don't know.
1: So it wasn't the actual, uh, you know, like Tesla ATV or anything like that. It was oh, like it the wasn't. radio oh. fire version of it for kids. Okay. So yeah, know, yeah, but it yeah. Was really cool. Um, yeah. And, uh, pro- probably the, you know, the cooler thing though is just like actually talking to Sandy and, and like, you know, picking his brain on, uh, how far Tesla has come and, you know, like who the actual competition is. And, um, cause like I, I kind of think nobody's going to catch up to Tesla, but like Sandy's got very clear uh, views in his mind of like he, he was actually much more bullish on Ford than I would have thought. He, he was saying like really the F one hundred and fifty Lightning is a way better product than than he was expecting. Uh, same thing wow. with the Mach E, um, but he was like ripping into GM and basically like he, he's expecting. Wow. He didn't say this, um, but you know I, I think reading between the lines, he's expecting GM to go bankrupt because. You know basically they're they're managed by like a bunch of mbas and they don't really know what they're talking about um wow just... so yeah it was it, it was it was interesting um this a, a super fun experience and um being able to kind of go there and and see the team that's that's behind these super impressive you know like breakdowns and um talk about like what's so impressive about the 4680s. this i mean this is one of the, the crazy things is like how far tesla has come already you know, in terms of we talked about getting like a 27% gross margin in Q1. Um, uh, but he was talking about like there was like a 30 to 40 percent uh savings that he could see just in like unnecessary steps on the um uh like the body shop that that they would mm-hmm. need to to like handle the um uh like the model Y shop in, in uh in Austin and and it's just like it's crazy to think that like Tesla already has this huge advantage and then they're gonna be, you know, like kind of like leapfrogging and and pushing the envelope even further, you know, at a moment when these other companies are just saying, like, well, should we do what Tesla already did <laughs> like yeah. 12 months ago? Yeah. And if we do, then we'll get there 12 months from now. Um, so it's it's just like it's it makes me it really reinforce my bullishness as an investor. Uh, you know, just to, to kind of see how far Tesla already is and, and how much respect somebody who really understands the engineering part of it has for Tesla.
0: Yeah, no, that's cool. I'm looking forward to a little drop, an in interview on their uh, social media channel, probably in the next few days or something that you did with them.
1: Yep. Yep. So there was like a 50 minute interview. Uh, they wanted to put it on um, a different channel. So I'll, I'll definitely retweet that. Um, and, and uh, maybe we'll put, we'll put a link to it on this video whenever it goes live. But yeah, uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it should go out in the next, hopefully even later today, but maybe tomorrow. Uh, we'll have this like roughly okay. 15 minute interview that goes out.
0: Cool, that's I'm excited to listen to it or watch it. So neat. Um, any other takeaways from the? I mean, how were you there the whole day or for a few hours or what? What was the Yeah. Yeah, I
1: got there. I got there around like 9:30 or something like that,
0: and uh, mm-hmm.
1: like. Kind of walked around all during lunch uh, or uh, before lunch. Um, saw a bunch of the stuff that they were working on. One of the surprising things was, you know, that they're trying to tear apart the battery pack right now. Um, they, I guess they've been working on that since last Thursday. Um, and mm-hmm. it's just so dense and like so well put together that they're having a yeah. very, very difficult time actually opening up like the lid of this of this battery pack. It was, it was, it was kind of crazy because it's like this big pack and they were... They, it was like a can of sardines. They twisted up the, the top of it uh, from these two mm. different areas. But then there was all this like pink foam that they couldn't mm. like, they were having a very difficult time, like removing the pink foam and, and this uh, like insulating like plastic material to, to like remove that, to get to the actual point where the 4680 cells were. Um, yeah. So it was like, you talk about a structural battery pack, like this is a legitimately incredibly structural, like piece of equipment. It's like, you, you sort of think, like it's a battery pack like you'll be able to like remove it from the frame take out a couple bolts like remove the lid and then take out a cell but this is way more of like an integrated um assembly that it's like one thing completely like there was so much of this um this like inflating foam and this um i forget what they called it like so a resin or, or something like that that was uh, like integrated into this this component that like the the battery pack like had this huge amount of flexibility and, and like rigidity that it was so hard for them, way harder than they were expecting to to actually like remove the components from each other to actually get to the place where they could pluck an individual cell. So that was, I thought that was kind of interesting. Like just yeah. you, you hear about structural cell then when you, when you get to the point where you're actually trying to like, you know, take a component of the structure out how difficult that is for a team as qualified yeah. in a row. I thought that was just kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, like you have Jordan from The Limiting Factor showing his teardown of the actual battery cell, and then you think that's like the magic, but then the magic is also the pack and how they structure it, and that's where Monroe and Associates are trying to reverse-engineer the actual pack, you know, and figure out how to get the cells out of it and stuff and how they put it in there. And it's interesting all that goes into this. So cool. Yeah. Like, like,
1: like I saw that the, the one from Jordan, like they had this, this like pristine cell, this 4680, where you could see all the metal all around it. And I was talking to Corey about that. I was like, like, are you going to be able to get out a cell like that without any of the stuff on it? And he's like, no, like, I'm pretty sure all the cells that we get out are going to have like this pink stuff wrapped around it. Cause I'm, they were like. There's, there's one way that they found that can get the pink stuff off of it, but it was like a highly toxic, highly flammable and electrically conductive material that would like get the pink stuff off of it. And they're like, well, that's incredibly dangerous to like, (laughs) you know, douse a battery that, you know, that is conductive and uh, flammable with, with like a, a material that enhances that essentially. So they, they were, you know, not really sure how they'd get that pink material out of that.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, it's must be a crazy job working at Monroe and associates. I mean, you're just like, you're part, like you're, it's like, sometimes you're like in a lab and sometimes you're like just doing engineering or you're constantly reverse engineering thing. I don't know. It's int- must be an interesting job to go to a nine to five every day and, and do that. It'd be pretty fun. Yeah. And
1: yeah. I, I can't say enough great things about the people that work there. I mean, they were so generous with their time. They were like, they didn't have to be as, as nice to us as they were. Cause like, we weren't helping them in any way. Like, they already had the car yeah. from this guy, Alex, like they, they had everything they needed from us, but they really went out of their way to just you know, say, Hey, we really appreciate, you know, to this Alex guy that, that, that you gave us this car, you know, meant a lot to us and nice. want to make sure you get as much as possible out of your visit here. And so they were, you know, they gave us like access to all sorts of stuff. And one thing I'm, I'm really excited to see actually a little bit of a, a side note here, but they had this one area that was completely cordoned off and, like, we cannot let you go like beyond this black curtain over here because uh, there's something super mm-hmm. exciting that we're working on here. Uh and wow. we can't wait to like show it, but like we cannot tell you anything. And like we wow, kept, like, trying to like, just behind them, a curtain.
0: Like,
1: nuggets. Well, it was like it was like a you know, 20-foot curtain and like by like yeah. feet or something like that. It was like it was like no joke. And they were very like, you know, there were some parts where technically we weren't supposed to take pictures, but they let us take pictures anyways. They're like, just please yeah. you know post them yet until you know yeah. uh, our, our next video goes up. Um but like this other area that like, we can't even talk about it. Um, Wow. So we were talking to Sandy. We're like, so like, when do you think we might find out what's beyond there? And he's like, Oh, like end of this month, probably. And it's going to be like really mind blowing. And then like, we're talking to his team afterwards and like, no way is end of this month. It's more like October, but it's going to be more (laughs) mind blowing than what Sandy thought. So like,
0: I I wonder what it is. It's probably not Tesla related. It's probably something else related. Right. I mean, what do you think? Like RC moto or something? I don't know.
1: I'm, I'm slightly, um, I I don't think this is it, but, um, like we had this list of questions that we wanted to kind of go over with Sandy, the one, Mm -hmm. the, like, and it was like kind of very wide ranging, uh, and the one thing Mm -hmm. which he, he refused to comment about, which surprised me was, um, the, the Tesla bot, um, Mm. like Optimus. So like, I don't think he would actually have access to like a, a, prototype, a prototype or, like, or something, even, even some of the I components of the prototype yeah so like i don't think that's it but i can't think of what else it might be that he was so secretive about there's it. no way
0: yeah there's no way tesla would let Monroe and as well she just have it behind a black curtain <laughs> like they could go no, to the bathroom can you could like, sneak peek there and then where we get out you know like, the one thing
1: i was thinking is like it could be like some like joints or like like some co- sub components within like optimists like they're like how do you like you know balance the knee joint or something like that in, in an optimist and so maybe they're maybe. advising on some of that but i
0: as possible i don't know i think tesla's engineering people are are top not you know i don't know i don't know i mean i think it's got to be something not tesla related is my thought but it might maybe it is maybe this tesla related we'll see yeah i know he's like a part investor i think in rc moto or something so he's not allowed to talk about it but uh or he's like an advisor so i don't know yeah well, they, he's had one
1: talk those, about they had one of those there like he does a lot of yeah. consulting like that was one of the things walking yeah. through there like like the the breadth of consulting that he does like you know they had like a there was like a golf cart i didn't know like but they've got like 80 market share on like golf carts apparently because uh wow. like they helped to like design this like special rain gutter where like the rain would like flow through these these back pillars on, on those oh, golf wow. carts and like so they had that and like there's stuff that they were doing um like with airplanes and there was a whole separate defense building which was like, there was like no windows in this building at all. And like, he's like, we cannot take you over there because it's defense. So like, <laughs> we need like security clearances to get over into that other building. And wow. So, that's cool. Like, clearly this, the secret thing was not defense related because it wasn't in that building, but it was, okay. you know, something okay.
0: else. Interesting. Wow. So they do things so, for the department of defense and such. Yeah, that's cool. Well, yeah, he's been in the business for a long time. He's pretty re- well respected is my understanding. So yeah. Um, I'm, I can't wait to see that interview when it, when it is it going to be in the Monroe Live YouTube channel or something else, do you think? Or,
1: um, no, there's so there's another uh YouTube channel, I can't remember the, the name of it offhand, but um, the, this guy Alex who uh gave Monroe oh, okay. the, the car, he's a he's a fan of this. Thank you, Alex, channel. by the way
0: yeah if alex yeah. is listening thank you appreciate Huge invite, thank you he doesn't want his there. last
1: name to be known so we're just gonna sure. call him alex from florida uh but he was a super cool guy just like one of my takeaways was how amazing this tesla community is because you know going to to like see this place and like just meeting this guy who's been a fan of the channel and the, the stuff that we're doing it's like it was so cool um and he brought his yeah. cousin along who's like 12 years old and like seeing him geek out over all this stuff and. That it was little, little another little side note, but like, yeah, like we saw like the Rivian, we saw this Chinese EV, we were in this BMW i4, which was like ridiculous. Um, And then like, we saw like all the stuff being like torn apart. But his 12 year old cousin who was on this tour with us was most impressed with my car, like the Tesla Model <laughs> Y, like long range. Wow. And like, it had like fart mode. And then like I showed him like the full <laughs> driving data, where like I, you know, like I took my hands off while the wheel turned. Yeah. And like, oh my gosh! And then like, you know, <laughs> see, like all the, like I showed him the, um, the light show, like the Christmas, yeah. thing, like, the holiday thing, and like he oh was cool, just, like giggling love like, that the like, most completely Tom. giggling over like all these little features and and he he loved all those things and he's like for sure what i want the most is like the tesla model y not all these other super cool things that we'd see and so seeing like a 12 yeah. year old geek out over all this stuff was was uh kind of reinforcing of like where the future really is uh, in yeah. this industry
0: yeah yeah cool well sounds like a fun fun trip fun time um and uh, anything else Tesla related we should talk about or Elon related before we kind of go into Q and A? Um, it's not, yeah. You know, I, think- I mean, there was there was a the big Starship failure, the static
1: fire test that they had yesterday. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. We've already droned on uh, quite some time, so maybe we can we can just go into Q and A. But that was uh, kind of surprising. It seems like from Elon's reaction that that was uh, worse, much worse than he was expecting. It seems.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like that. And that he was like personally inspecting it and such. And um, yeah, I mean, I think they have to make some fixes, but it's good that they make these things happen. That's why they have these tests for, right? They don't want these things to happen when they're actually doing like a production launch with like, you know, a mission, right? This was just like a static fire test of some sort. And so you expect these types of failures to happen from time to time and you fix them so they don't happen when they go through the live launches. Yeah. So I guess this particular failure they didn't anticipate is to be as big as it was, or or to happen at all. And so, uh, yeah. you know, interesting. I, I
1: think that the risk there is just like with how many engines could have been damaged by that. You know, like the it, it's, mm. it's it's tough work getting a Raptor produced, and you know they're doing a lot to to get that production rate up as as high as possible. But yeah, I mean, you you could imagine if if all those Raptors were damaged pretty significantly, that could be a pretty material setback too. You know the next yeah. set of fire that they even have. So, to me, like yeah. the the timeline risk is the, is the biggest issue. Not necessarily like you know how significant the damage was, or you know the fact that yeah. there was an issue. It's just you know how far back does it
0: set us? Yeah, yeah. I see uh, Doge Nation is saying uh, Sandy Monroe is a consultant for Apple Car Project, he thinks. Uh, I don't know about that. I don't know. I think Project Titan or whatever they call it, Apple, is probably super secretive over there, too, just like I think a lot of Teslas are. So who knows? Maybe. Um, but uh, we'll see. And then he also asked about the RoboVan. Van. that RoboVan should be, you know, I guess uh, Elon's, you know, kind of considering a, a RoboVan a bigger thing bigger thing than the Model Y when they create their robo vehicle. So it'll be interesting if we'll get an unveiling of that at some point in the next couple of years. But um, let's go into q and I guess. I'm reading the comments here. There's a lot of questions that come up in the comments of the YouTube Live, but some people have tweeted questions too. So uh, first question from Mark Gomez Tejada on YouTube Live, with all the PE compression in the markets and Tesla becoming more of a value company in the coming year, I guess, what PE would you consider for, in the coming years, what PE would you consider for 23, 2024, 25, 2030? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it, I think PE is, uh, is one metric that people often cite. And, uh, a lot of it depends on the growth rate of the company. I think that what the appropriate PE is like, you know, not just the industry they're in, but also the growth rate, And the type of, you know, margin, you know, that's all representing the PE, I guess. But this PEG thing is something probably a little more important, right? What are your thoughts, Matt? What do you think about the PE or the PEG of Tesla in the future?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, the one thing that was drilled into me as like an investment banking analyst is that if you're going to use multiples analysis, which is what... You know, price to earnings ratio is is one of many multiples that you can use to value a company. Then you have to assume that the multiples are going to decrease as you go forward in time. Um, so as you're as you're taking growth off of a company because it's growing at you know fifty, then forty, then thirty, then twenty percent, you know eventually over time, um, your multiple has to decrease going forward to kind of account for the fact that there's less you know high growth going forward. So you know, like the, the yeah. easiest way I would answer this is that, like, well, you, you've got to assume higher PEs in 23 than you do in 24, then you do in 25, and then you do in 30. So, like, you know, just off the top of my head, and this is not going to be completely accurate, but like maybe 23 is a 50 and, and, you know, 24 is a 45, and then 25 is a 40, and then 30 is maybe like a 20. Um. So, like, that's like kind of the rough math, math. But what you want to do is, is like build out a detailed, you know, discounted cash flow model and, you know, make sure that your decreasing pe ratios are kind of um congruent with your price to earnings multiples that, that you're assuming in, in the near term so if you, if you were to model a company out perfectly like like with like phd of finance level accuracy which i would not recommend that anyone gets a phd in finance but what yeah. you would do is like you would have like a discounted future cash flows where such that like if you had like a PE of 50 in 2023, then if you discounted the cash flows in t- starting in 2023 or start 20 2024, um the the same net present value would be equal to a lower PE multiple. So like so maybe it's a 45 PE multiple in 24, but that price is equivalent to your discounted cash flows uh start if you were to start your discount cash flow from 2024 and beyond. So it really is just kind of like a math equation, um, but the, the general principle is that you should have decreasing multiples going forward.
0: Yeah. One reference I like to look at is like, what's the biggest companies in the world, whether it's Apple right now as a PE, and it's like at its mo- most mature point, in my opinion, like I don't think they're going to get a whole lot bigger. They're going to grow maybe 10 or 20% at most. I don't know what they'll grow, but they're not going to be they're so big, they can't grow anything near they like they used to. And their PE right now is and they're still profitable. Their PE right now is 24. So um, in Google, let me look at them. Their PE is 20 or 21. So, you know, if you're thinking Tesla 2030, you know, when, and you, you think that they're sort of at the height of their growth at that point, you know, maybe the PE would be 20 to 25 range is is what I would estimate or speculate at? I don't know. That's my thought. Yep. All right. Next question. Chris Palmerlo, Matt, do you have a model for rocket lab like you do for Tesla? Would you be able to share your earnings estimates?
1: Yeah. So I do have a model for rocket lab. Um, I would say the, um, margin for error is much higher than with tesla because so much of of rocket lab's earnings are related to whether a specific launch hits within the quarter or not so you know if they've got say a a 40 million dollar launch and they're accounting for you like three or four of those in a quarter uh actually i think that the launch figure is actually a bit lower than that um but you know whether a launch goes from in this quarter, let's say August to, um, you know, the following October, that's like a huge impact on on the revenues for a quarter. Um, But at the same time, they do have a a pretty significant and growing portion of their business, which is related to providing services for the launch industry. Um, So like reaction wheels and a lot of software actually. Um, But with how acquisitive they've been recently it's just I, I i personally find it's actually quite hard to get a good read on how um how much of the revenue is going to come from these new business lines um versus their core business just because they're they're growing like crazy right now so uh, yeah i do have a, a model i'm trying to um monitor it over time and, and try to improve my own accuracy and forecasting it but I, I think with right now with with how small frankly their revenue base really is um it's it's i I, i'd rather get it a little bit more accurate before i start sharing it publicly and even if, if i do start sharing it publicly i think i'd probably prefer to do that just with our investor base first rather than kind of broadly and publicly
0: yeah from dan roberts on youtube what are your thoughts on the possible future shutdowns in shanghai um I think that you know they have this zero COVID policy stated publicly, um, and that was a big issue in Q2 for Tesla, especially and a lot of companies trying to produce things out of China. Um, I think I, I have to think. You know, the Chinese government. I I don't know. You know, I'm not an expert. I do know that they're not a bureaucratic massive bureaucratic system like the U.S. government and a lot of Western governments are, you know, I I feel like they have some sense of um, competency in making decisions and changing course. And, and uh, you know, I would think that they have that sense of competency to make the adjustments on COVID, even though they have their zero COVID stated policy, to realize that, you know, this this variants are not nearly as deadly and they're much more transmissible and you just have to adjust for that and live with it sort of like sort of like the west is doing you know at least in the u.s even in california which is like the most covid paranoid state you know like people are just sort of living with it now finally you know like okay it's going around just do your best not to spread it and if you're test pot we still have to ask you if you tested positive but everything's going on as normal basically now so i feel like china the government there you know if they're if they're competent like i think they are they're making adjustments to me maybe they have their stated public zero covid policy but i don't think they would shut down the economy again like they did you know in q2 i don't know what do you think man
1: yeah i mean it it did scare me a little bit this week
0: to hear about some of the now i hear you
1: it did scare me a little bit this week to hear about some of the the lockdowns that they had in macau um so if that continues and spreads that that would be concerning but um it does seem like like I'm kind of shocked actually that the the Chinese populace seems to be um, like getting out and demonstrating publicly against some of these lockdowns. So um, you know like that's something that you just don't think of as, as happening in China. Um, basically since like Tiananmen Square back in '89, I think it was. Um, so like the the fact that the people are feeling so emboldened to actually you know go out and protest publicly in in china is i I think a a sign that the people don't have a whole lot of tolerance left for um more restrictive lockdowns so um if the shanghai plant does get shut down again that would not be good like that but the base case is definitely for me that you know q3 the plant is up and running and and frankly ramping from here Um, so If anything kind of disrupts that and we have another, you know, maybe it starts off as a one week or two week lockdown, but then it might drag into two months. That would be really rough uh, for Tesla's financials. So um, I'm certainly going to continue to be watching it closely. But I kind of think that the government is um, getting close to the end of, of the public's patience for these continued, you know, very aggressive lockdowns.
0: Yeah. Next question from Andreas Dalsett, Dalslett, um on YouTube Live. Uh, Do you think Elon will sell his Twitter shares before it gets goes to the courts? Yeah, that's a great question. I've been thinking about it. I mean, I've been putting posts out like what happens to his 10% of tw- Twitter that he owns or 9.6% or whatever it is technically. What happens to that? And what happens more importantly to the $8.5 billion of cash? that he raised in anticipation of acquiring Twitter, you know, um, when he sold his Tesla stock. I don't, you know, I, I don't think Elon, I think Elon sees a very bright future for Tesla and doesn't want to sell Tesla stock. Like that conspiracy theory goes like, he uses an excuse to sell Tesla stock. You know, I don't think that's the case. Like, um, I think he was painful for him to sell Tesla stock, but he thought it was the greater good is to take control of Twitter since it's become like the public town square and he can make it a better public town square with free speech protected and so forth. So I think, um, you know, he may buy I personally think there's a significant chance he buys Tesla stock back. Um, and he uses the cash he sell. you know, maybe the cash he used to buy Twitter, he just sells the Twitter and holds that cash aside. But maybe the 8.5 billion of, of cash. A lot of that, you know, majority of that he uses it. People are like, Oh, he could fund the Texas Institute of Technology, or he could do other things. He could start another Twitter competitor. Yeah, that's true. But that doesn't take 8.5 billion of cash. That probably takes like a couple hundred million dollars, you know, like the other 8 billion, what are you going to do with it? Right. So I don't think he wants to sit it. I don't think he wants cash sitting on his, bank account losing money in inflation i mean he seems very concerned about inflation like he should like i don't know to me he seems very concerned about inflation and i think he doesn't want his cash to just like sit there and turn to nothing from inflation either so you know to me he put i think there's a good chance he puts it back in tesla stock m- most of it and he's not uh, he's not against selling A certain amount of Tesla stock we know now know for something important later. If he sees something else important come up on the horizon in a few years, what do you think, Matt?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's. I agree with everything you just said. I mean, like, I don't think he he necessarily wanted this 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 outcome, but um, with what he's found out since, um, you know, to me it seems unlikely that the, the the deal goes through. So yeah, maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't like like my Super Bowl case is that he just plows it into you know Tesla shares. He he di- divests of Twitter and starts buying a bunch of Tesla like this week. That'd be great, right? But I, I think that's or, when the window
0: happens. opens would be after earnings. I think is when he would do it probably. Yeah, right.
1: Yeah, that, that's fair. Yeah, he, he can't actually do that right now. But um, yeah, you know, I think maybe he keeps on to, he holds on to his liquidity for a little bit. Yeah, like there, there's other stuff like you mentioned, like the. Texas Institute of technology and science and astronomical space studies or whatever they end up calling it. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I just, I, I'm trying to view this as much as possible as a neutral event because I really want to be focused on, on Tesla's fundamentals. So I sure hope yeah. there's kind of like some flows benefit from this where he's, he's buying some more Tesla, um, and not Twitter. Uh, it, you know, if he does end up buying Twitter, I think that'll be an okay thing because like for society, like I really do believe in the mission that he was trying to accomplish with, with Twitter. Um, but with, with frankly, how like how low the, the market has gone, I, I think he could probably do more with his with his money and, uh, you know, do better for his like Tesla investors by, you know, just kind of refocusing on on Tesla. And instead of like, like, it's almost like he's a vampire who's come and like bit Twitter, and like Twitter's dying, like based on what he's done to the company. Like,
0: yeah, he kind of yeah.
1: inflicted a mortal wound on Twitter, it seems. And I don't know how Twitter comes back from this. Uh, yeah, like given how much information he's shared with people who probably weren't thinking about like how many bots there are on, on the, the platform. Uh, You know, but if I'm an advertiser on Twitter, and all of a sudden I see all this stuff that Elon's talking about, I'm like, let's just, you know advertise on snapchat snapchat instead or or you know yeah, facebook or facebook so
0: instagram or whatever yeah any
1: anywhere else but twitter <laughs> if, if i think like they could be misrepresenting my advertising dollar efficacy by like 50 percent or more i don't want to spend there <laughs> i'd rather go somewhere else no so, i yeah. don't know it, it does feel like yeah, twitter's gonna have terrible I don't, I don't know how this resolves
0: i don't know either yeah I see Henry Abanto in the chat says he's a Tesla bull, but come on, Elon wanted to expose Twitter and have a reason to raise cash with the incoming recession that he predicted. Yeah, it was brilliant. I don't think that's the conspiracy thinking right there. Like that's that's saying that Elon is not being genuine, number one, which I don't believe. I mean, of course, there's a possibility Elon is purposely misleading people. That's like almost saying he planned to mislead everyone here, right? That's that's the number one conspiracy theory. And number two, I think, you know, if he thought the recession was coming, he wanted cash in case there was a recession, he could just buy like index puts on like SPX or, or whatever. He, he doesn't have to sell Tesla stock, you know? Yeah. He could buy – like it wouldn't affect Tesla disproportionately. Like there's no bad – For Tesla in particular coming that he saw that he wanted to sell Tesla stock in front of, you know, that would be the conspiracy theory you'd have to put out there. Not that he saw a recession coming because all the stocks are going down in the recession. You could just buy an index put on the Nasdaq or Russell 2000 or something and make a lot of money hedging himself, you know, so I don't buy that this conspiracy thinking that's going around that Elon did this, you know, you know misleading everyone so that he has an excuse to get at, get some cash before the recession, before everyone else got hit. You know, I don't know. It's just so weird that so many people gravitate towards that theory.
1: The, so. the, the biggest um, um, proof against that theory in, in my mind is that he waived his due diligence. Because if, if he was planning from the outset to get out of the deal, he just wouldn't have waived his due diligence. He would have said, okay, like, I'm going to buy this subject to, to due point. diligence. And to dig in and say, hey, looks like there's a big bot issue. So I'm going to walk away with like no legal liability because it was subject to due diligence. But the, the fact that he waived that initially to me uh, is an, indic- an indicator that he really did want the deal to go through. He wanted it to go through quickly. And then he kind of stumbled on this issue. And now he's trying to back out. Um, you know, if, mm-hmm. if he was truly that brilliant and like, I'm not saying he's not brilliant, but if he was truly that like, you know crystal ball brilliant where he, he could have yeah. known that the recession was coming and and you know was just trying to like preserve his cash then he would not have waived his due diligence he would have just said let's hold on to this subject to due diligence and he would have backed out and, and it would have been a much easier um you know th- there's a lot of legal commentators out there that say it's not a clear case at all that he's actually going to be able to walk away from this you know for like a billion dollars or or even more potentially so um if he really did want it to want to limit his liability then um he would have you know retained the right to his you know due diligence and and then walked yeah. away
0: yeah i mean two words that dis- describe elon to me that i think a lot of people miss is that he's genuine and he's principled you know like yeah. he doesn't mislead people he doesn't lie about things he's just genuine what he's saying is is you know he's not trying to he's you know he's he's speaking his mind he's telling it like it is and then he's he's principled you know he he like He, he does things out of principle a lot. So um, yeah, that's why I think he probably is honestly trying to walk away from the deal at this point. I don't know if he takes it at another valuation though, if Twitter counters and is like, all right, we'll give it to you at 40 billion or something instead of 44. Like, I don't, I don't know if he takes that at this point. I don't know. So,
1: yeah, I I don't think that does. I mean, maybe like 30 billion. I could see that, that, you know, that working for him, but uh, Forty from forty-four. I, I don't know that that uh, you know enough yeah. of a drop. We'll see.
0: Even that, even that at that price though, he might be so. It's possible he might. To me, it's possible he might be so principled that he doesn't want this, no matter what. At this point, like he might have been like, nope, this is too much of a you know, like it's not even worth it for free or something. Like he might have in his mind come up with the idea like, I don't even want it. I don't. I don't even want this for free. It's such a poison pill. Like such a poisonous, you know thing that it would, I'll just set it much easier to start from scratch and build my own thing or whatever. So I don't know. We'll see. I think he would take it probably at a much lower valuation, but, um, who knows what, how principled he is on this decision right now. Yeah. Uh, I saw a comment saying, what does, what did you put the picture of Elon on your mantle? Yeah, back there. Uh, a friend gave it to me as a joke like seven years ago or six years ago for like a birthday present, and I've kept it ever since and put it on my office and my mantle. So it's just kind of funny. Uh, I was
1: trying to find something fun. The only thing
0: I have is this uh, little kid's tiara.
1: I don't <laughs> have anything. More. I'm just a dad of six. So this is what I have. Yeah. No sign picture. <laughs>
0: well, it's not a signed Elon picture. It's just a oh, picture. It's not <laughs> <fine>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pin it off of the internet and just <laughs> frame it. I don't know. Uh, from Jay-Z. Oh, not the real Jay-Z. Different Jay-Z. Okay. Do you think the energy crisis in Germany will impact Tesla Berlin production? Do you follow Germany macros? Um, I have heard something about this like pipeline being shut off now or is a bit of an energy issue. I don't. I got to look into that a little more. Um, have you followed that that much, Matt?
1: You know, I actually put out a video, or maybe it was a Twitter thread, I can't remember on the like, t- uh, Germany's energy economy, like 12 to 18 months ago, something like that. Um, they've really screwed up. But and they've been mm-hmm. screwing up for like the last decade. Um, and it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty sad, actually, because you know, Germany, like, if you remember from like, 08 and, and beyond, like, they were leading the whole kind of like European Union economic policy and, and and everything like when spain and greece were at, at risk of defaulting on the currencies like germany got to call the shots and everyone thought that makes sense because they've got the most economic pull. and now we're in the situation where like germany is completely beholden to russia you know with, with their energy policy and frankly they've they've overbuilt some renewables they've underbuilt a lot of transmission and they're in the situation now mm-hmm. where they, they have to kind of fall back onto coal rather than nuclear. Um, And and it's just the whole situation was so avoidable. Um, So I I don't think it's necessarily going to impact their production, Uh, Tesla's production out of Germany. It it might marginally impact their costs. But if if you look at the electricity costs as a component of, or or as a percentage of the overall manufacturing costs, it's, you know, it's not that large. It it certainly is a real Mm. component. And if you compared like maybe, in germany it's like three percent of total costs are electricity versus you know two percent in china or one percent in china maybe i'm I'm not sure the exact numbers but my my Mm. sense is it's gonna be somewhere kind of in that range where uh you may lose a point or two or three even of gross margin just due to these electricity issues that are going on um but electricity costs overall are going to be a relatively small component of the overall uh assembly manufacturing
0: Yeah. yeah yeah interesting Okay. Yeah, and they're off for I think a couple of weeks, starting like right now or something in Berlin, uh upgrading the factory. Yep. Um I'm curious. I'm very curious to see what happens in August and September with Berlin after the upgrade to see what kind of ramp up they can do. Yeah, and Shanghai in China. too, because
1: apparently they've got a yeah. pretty big upgrade going on there too.
0: Yeah, yeah. Exciting the end of the quarter, maybe. Um from Martin Muldoon. We love you, Martin. Uh, what is your CPA estimate for tomorrow? Um, I mean, after the white house is like intentionally leaking things, I don't know. <laughs> I'm thinking it's going to be higher, but do they even know what the heck they're talking about? Do they really have the number or are they just like speculating to protect themselves? I, you know, I don't know. What do you think, Matt?
1: Yeah, I think the, the analyst consensus, I thought was somewhere around like 6%. Um, like, mm-hmm. I can't forget the exact number, but that that would equate to kind of a decrease from the peak, which was in April, if I'm not mistaken, something like that. It was either March or April, I think. So you know, like in May and June, it had been kind of high and sustained, but not, you know, kind of not rising. It was actually decreasing. So my hope is that it's actually kind of on this continued downward trajectory, because if it's, if it's actually increasing sequentially, in the face of these, these, uh, rising rates, that's, that's a very bad sign. Um, so, um, I, my, my, even with this kind of rumor of a leak, my sense is that we're, we're going to see a decrease from where we were, from where we were quarter over quarter in, in June. But, um, Really, uh, anything with like a five handle, I'll be very happy. Anything with a six handle is kind of what I'm expecting. And then if it's like a seven handle or or beyond, then that's very bad news, I think. And the the stock market will react accordingly.
0: Hmm. All right. Let's do maybe one more question. Um, Maybe Alec will put up one more question. Here we go. From Tesla Economics. Oh, one of my favorite Twitter folks. Uh, Great Twitter handle name. It's going to go down in the ages one of the best. I bet you as Tesla becomes a bigger and bigger company everyone's going to know about tesla economics it's going to be like a term in textbooks probably too uh, so question you guys think tesla will utilize the deferred tax asset liability this quarter to create cushion from the negative q2 print um yeah that's a good question um you have any thoughts on that matt what do you think james stevenson thinks too do you have th- has he mentioned it at all i know he has thoughts on this type of stuff i think too.
1: He was calling for this to be used in Q4 of 21, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so yeah. maybe for, for those who are not familiar, this is like, this is a purely kind of like gap accounting um, metric. So it's it's based on the fact that uh, Tesla for the first 15 years of, of their existence, they had negative net income and therefore negative tax liability. Um, so this... The concept of retained earnings is that as your, you know, negative earnings kind of accumulates over time, um, you have a, a tax benefit where if you do, you know, flip to profitability going forward, uh, you don't have to pay those taxes. But there's there's a deadline on those. You have to use the tax benefit. So in other words, you have to be profitable enough in a short enough time frame in order to use the full amount of those kind of the cumulative negative tax benefits that you've created. Um, so up to this point in time, Tesla has has discounted their historic, you know negative earnings and, and the tax benefit associated with those um, by something about fifty percent. It might be slightly less than fifty percent. Um, but it's it's in like the billion dollar range, I, I believe uh, of how much this benefit is. And for years now, it has seemed pretty obvious that um, they will be able to utilize the full amount of that benefit in, you know, in the next two, three years, something like that. But for some reason, we've never seen this, um, this discount to the deferred tax um, asset be, be like fully recognized. And so essentially, if, if they were to say, okay, it's now highly probable that Tesla is going to be profitable for the next, say, three years, And therefore they will be able to use the full amount of the deferred tax uh, asset that has been generated to date then that is actually like a a gap income statement benefit to them that will result in like a one-time earnings benefit Uh, but it's not a cash benefit it's not a you know a recurring source so in in my mind it's going to be discounted if it ever is utilized but for all those reasons, this is the right quarter to use it, if, if they yeah. can actually do that. Um, so, like, I, I've just discounted this because, like, like for two years or more, I thought this was coming, and it has just never come. So, maybe this is the right quarter yeah. that it finally does come. And and so, like, you could see some crazy situation where, like, Tesla reports $3 of earnings per share this quarter, but it's, like, this all these crazy because one-time items, including this... Diff- yeah. yeah. This, I mean, this would be over a dollar per share, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And then you could have like, you know, like the, the lease issue, you could have, you know, a really high credit issue. And um, this there's so much noise going on already this quarter that I, I frankly would love to see this be utilized in, in, in Q2 um, just to kind of dampen some of the more negative news stories that could come out of this. But I'm not yeah. banking on Bitcoin it, you know, impairment base base. and all this other yeah. stuff. Yeah. My my base case does not presume that this happens, but, um, if they, if they have anything close to like $3 of earnings per share, like for sure they've utilized this deferred tax asset issue.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would hope they do it this quarter too. Um, I know James Stevenson made a good point that he thought that some, for some accounting reason, it made sense to do it in a Q4 of a year. So that's why he was big on Q4 last year, them doing it. He thought. Um, but I don't know where he's drawing that kind of sensical conclusion from necessarily, you, you,
1: because there, there there is a there's like a valuation exercise involved with it. So like I used to do mm-hmm. um, goodwill impairment testing, for example, for like Sally May was one of the companies that that I did this for, and it's a, mm-hmm. it's a very involved calculation where you, you're doing like a very detailed discount cash flow analysis based on management's projections, and then you have to mm-hmm. see okay. Is that discounted cash flow net present value greater or less than the carrying value of the the uh, of the asset on the books? And so, you know, if it's less than the carrying value, then you have to take a, an impairment. And so you don't do that every single quarter, at least in that level of detail. So it makes most sense to do that in a Q4 because you've got like a 10K associated with you've got like, generally speaking, you're doing more detailed calculations in a, in a Q4. Um, but... Mm-hmm. There, there's no rule that you, you need to do your more detailed calculations in the Q4. Like you, you could very mm-hmm. easily decide that, you know, the, the time is right and the probability is higher now that, you know, your your deferred tax asset will be utilized. And so therefore you need to kind of do that discount cash flow analysis.
0: Yeah, we'll know in uh, two weeks from now or two weeks in one day, I think. Right. So yeah, is but, it, it, it's not next week, is it? Oh, it is next week. It's a week it and one day. It is next week. Actually, yeah. Wow, geez, eight, eight, days. eight days. Oh, wow. Sneaking up on us. All right. Well, next Tuesday, uh, we'll be back and we'll be speculating about earnings the following day. And uh, we'll see everyone next, next Tuesday. Thanks for joining us.
1: That should be exciting. Thanks, everyone.